0: Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the arts and health podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. My guest in this episode is the director, Waris Islam. Waris has directed numerous shows, including Hollyoaks, Holby City, and EastEnders. This interview was recorded during the period of the lockdown. Waris Islam, welcome to Right Side of the Brain. Thank you, yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So first of all, Waris, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, Where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: Yes, so I was I was actually born in North London, Haringey, uh, Free Leaf Road. And, um, but mostly I spent my informative years in Kenton, Kingsbury, which is where we settled. Dad was a civil servant for the Department of Trade and Industry. Mum was a, uh, an interpreter for Whittington Hospital. And, you know, both fiercely Bangladeshi but Dad was Siletty, Mum was originally um, Indian, Calcuttan. That's mm-hmm. a weird mix, you know. Mm-hmm. That you don't usually get that.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: both passionate about Bangladesh, and you know, often and intensely, we were always going back every every year or so, uh, keeping a really firm connection. You know, that's kind of where my vivid childhood memories really are. You know, go- going going back to Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Um, More so, when I look back, um, more so there, you know, more so, you know, uh, be it Eid or a family reunion or a wedding, um, traveling with my family, going to Bangladesh, spending time there and, and coming back and doing that sort of quite regularly
0: as we grew up. You must have some amazing memories of Bangladesh as a child.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's it's informed a lot of my um, who I am, so that um, that was one way it informed me. And also, I married a girl who, who is from Bangladesh as well, and you know, so in in some ways, you know, it's always informed um, very much um, where I'm from and who I became and what I fell in love with and what I wrote and what I married, you know, who I married and and you know the sort of connection to Bangladesh is It's you know, it's an interesting one. It's probably less intellectual, um, less academic. Mostly it's quite a, a kind of a sense of belonging, I guess. Um, I'm very British in all those ways, but I, I can't help but always feel seduced by Bangladesh. And I continue to be, I suppose. Um,
0: Worris, well, just out of interest, do do you think that there is a stereotype uh, in relation to, to Bangladesh when, when we hear the word uh, bangladesh we we think of floods we think of poverty um you know we think of a, a reliance on you know big charities etc do you think that that's an unfounded stereotype
1: i think it probably comes with the territory of developing countries unfortunately when we're looking at it from a perspective across the shores in in, in say um places like uh, the uk um, it's often the kind of those kind that kind of news is the, is often the only thing that travels. So, you know, those become the global phenomena that we sort of read about. And um, you know, truth be told, unless you visit these countries or have some kind of relationship to them, you won't really be able to sort of unturf sort of what, what is what is great and what is beautiful about them.
0: What were the aspirations of the young Warris Islam? (laughs) Still young, then. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I've—I think as you know, what I think as far as I can remember, I've always loved the idea of um, being a writer and a director. I've always enjoyed that as a kid. I remember being fourteen, you know, and saying to myself, "Well, here's this really cool vocation where you can be." Uh, you know you could be a writer you can be creative you can be um, it can, it's sociable yet solitary as well if you're writing alone it's all these things that you want to be as an artist and you know it's one job you know it's um being a filmmaker at least that's what I wanted to be at that time so that was something I felt that really you know, i felt I was pretty smart i suppose at fourteen knowing exactly what I wanted to do and what was wonderful about you know taking that path and I was seduced also by that kind of adventure of becoming you know a writer director that journey was so interesting and exciting um and what was interesting was that the older I got or whatever experiences I had directing writing directing still had a place it didn't sort of um You know, it didn't become any. You know, it didn't become less interesting. In fact, it became more interesting as it matured because it became there were other. You know, things I wanted to express. So you found yourself um, not exhausting this ambition after some time of being in it. You found yourself plunging in deeper and you know finding you know finding Wonderland because there was so much more. So directing was something that was continually um, rewarding and giving something back the more I learned about it. And so I just started that journey, man. I just started. And the only contract I had with my parents was, they said, look, that's great. You know, go ahead, do that thing, but just get a degree, you know, finish Mm -hmm. complete your studies. And so I did, I I did an undergrad in film. I I went on to do a a production um, masters in uh, filmmaking. Then I did another masters in screenwriting. I wanted to learn as much as I could about the process. And sort of equip myself so I could go out there and give it a go, you know. Um, yeah, still, still learning.
0: So, Warris, who are the writers and uh, practitioners that have influenced you the most?
1: I've enjoyed screenwriting. My, I think my um, awakening was when I was probably in film school, early '90s. You know, I looked at people like, man, I looked at people like Spike Lee writers like spike jones jim jamush scorsese coppola you know angley um won Wai, chen cage zanyi moore these were the people these were the filmmakers at my time at least that were making really exciting independent work and you would watch their films and you would become really quentin tarantino you know he you know he arrived when i got into film school you know we These were the people that were producing content that was so exciting. And I I reckon early 90s was sort of of the beginning of the kind of independent scene in cinema. You had this great sort of studio kind of 80s, uh, which was also incredible. Um, But it was that kind of independent thing and that movement that was very exciting for me as I was getting my awakening as 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 I was learning about film. And it was those filmmakers that I mentioned um, that kind of um, started my journey of like I wanted to be like them. I wanted to write like them. I wanted to make films in the same conditions that they made their films. They went through tyranny and hurt and pain. I'm going to go through that as well. That's the only way to make films is to suffer, you know. And, you know, it was a, uh, the irony was that it was a very new time with the, um, you know, the information age, digital, the formats changed, et cetera. So we could actually make films a lot easier than they did, but somehow you wanted to um, be like your heroes
0: <laughs> so t- so tell us about your journey then that there you are you've you've just finished your your film degree you you do a i think you said a, a postgrad um after that w- what what happened next?
1: I think I was lucky during my postgrad to Um, I got some great advice during my postgrad and they said, look, it's going to be tough when you get out there, you know, to get work as a writer or director. So use this time in your academic years. Use it as a facility house. You've got got crew, you've got equipment. When you leave this, uh, when you leave university, you're going to have to pay for that stuff. So use it as a facility house and make your films, write your screenplays and, you know, um, nurture your contacts so that when you do, um, you know, when you do graduate and you're out there, you've got a fighting chance. And that's, that was kind of some of the best advice I got really. So I had a head start that during my postgrad, um, I, I managed to get my first commissions and I also managed to make my first short films, which I could use to get um, other, um, other short film comm- you know more professional short film commissions. so straight after this during my my postgrad um, I would say in my my final months, I got a commission for a short film and um, I had I had written my first uh, kind of couple of feature films actually um, which had got some attention which allowed me to kind of go in get an agent and get my first writing commission which was on this show called Silver
0: Street. You were actually one of the first group of original writers on Silver Street. What was that like? Short-lived.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It was, um, you know, it it was, as, as you know, New J, so were you. We were part of a team, really interesting writers, actually. That was the most exciting thing. Hmm. Because the first time I was amongst peers you know i as a sort of british asian writer i never defined myself as a british asian writer you know you're just a writer really um out there trying to get trying to hustle but um you know suddenly you were in a room of other british asian writers generating british asian content specifically for a british asian audience and that was both liberating and responsibility as well you know it was exciting and you know, but also you know, you felt at this precious time. You know, we were here. It was quite a big responsibility for us to do something. I don't know, uh, something exciting and and fresh and new that hasn't really been done before. And you know, it was for me as my first commission as a as a sort of BBC writer. Um it was a, it was a positive experience you know I was able to um i was um I was liked for my my voice and I didn't even realize what my voice was and i when I was liked for certain things about the way I was styled, I was writing, I managed to fashion my writing in that way to define my style and I think for the first time I found out who I was as a writer and that was very important and because in in the context of delivery for us you know for a show with deadlines and a schedule and producers you know you have to hone your skills so so well um that that became a great kind of learning curve for me um and I you know since take I you know I still take those lessons with me into and writing now
0: so um after silver street you have you've, you've you've moved on from there what what happened after that worris we, we, did you continue writing or did you focus on short films
1: yeah so i uh sort of simultaneously i was also um i had a um short film that i had made so when you're a director nobody writers don't write short films Writers will spend their time um, writing feature films. Why would a writer spend waste their time making a short film unless they attach themselves to an award-winning director? So you're often forced as a director to write um, your own shorts. So in in a way that was quite useful because it meant learning again how to write and learning the craft of screenwriting. But um, also what it what it Forced me to do was um, go out there and put portfolio together of of writing, and also I had a short film out there in the EFA, so I was able to move from Silver Street quite quickly with this short film onto uh, Hollyoaks. Somebody had seen my short film and really liked it and said, uh, why don't you come over? And I actually approached Hollyoaks as a writer thinking this wasn't enough. And they said, well, we actually, we like what you've directed. And that was my first um, my first gig as a sort of television director on, on Hollyoaks. And then of course, after that, I subsequently got other gigs. I got an agent and started to find work as a television
0: director. Worris, there's a lot of people who work within our field who don't really know w- what a television director does. So so could you describe the, the job of a television director on a show like Hollyoaks, for example?
1: Yeah. So uh, a TV director often is somebody that um, specifically for continuing drama. And when I, what I mean by that are soaps, mostly shows that are long running. Um, a TV director will uh, be the person that is responsible for um, bring, bringing to life a script and um, taking uh, having a vision with that script and taking it um, to a production team, facilitating an environment in which everyone can do their best work and creating... Uh, turning that script into um, an episode or a show. And that's essentially that entire process is what is managed by a TV director. And you could break that out into three stages. There are, there's, pre, pre, uh, there's pre-production, there's production, and there's post-production. So in pre-production, a TV director will, um, will work or wrangle with the script editor to make sure that it's in its best possible shape production which is its shortest um time you know you actually take that that script to the floor and you um you know you work with the creative teams and your actors to deliver um that particular vision and then in post-production you are um, you edit that material essentially as a storyteller throughout you are responsible of taking that script um, that parchment scroll handed to you. <laughs> um, and, you know, you take it um, and you turn it into something visual and dramatic.
0: You've you've also worked on uh, shows like Holby and you've worked on EastEnders. Yeah. Uh, what have they been like?
1: So they've all been relatively um, different in some ways and some ways the same. Uh, EastEnders is multi-camera, And so what that means is essentially on the floor when you're directing, you're usually using three cameras, if not four. And the volume of actors, sometimes you're directing 22 actors, you know, in in the Queen Vic, you know, and you have to know all their stories and their motivations. And you have to keep an eye that um, we're telling the story on the page, you know. Um, So that's a very... Specific skill set, I believe. You know, working on sort of high volume, multi-strand, episodic shows with multi cameras. Um, though, uh, Holby's a little different because it's single camera, and the single camera aesthetic means, you know, it's a different different type of planning. You probably don't do floor plans, so that means you. There's more discussion with your team on the floor. Um, it's less volume. Um, there's more time. And uh, so it's a different style, you know. But essentially, in terms of dramatic storytelling, you are doing the same job, you know. Um, and, but, you know, one thing you both, both um, sort of shows require is that, and, and this I think is, is essential, is that as, as much as you have to be a great storyteller and, you know, be able to sort of deliver dramatically, dramatic content, you've got to understand schedule, you know, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, you are qualified on both how you tell stories, how well uh, you tell stories and whether you can deliver in a particular time in budget. And those are the, those are, you know, important skills, you know, and you know the the hard skill of course is to facilitate this kind of environment where performers can do their best work that's what you're safeguarding at every stage and you have to remember actors have been with these characters longer than you've watched the show so sometimes you go in there not necessarily you know overloading them with notes and telling them how to fill rather you're shielding them from all of that and making sure that they can Carry on doing their best work because they know these characters better than you do. Hmm.
0: So that's um. That's so what's a, <clears throat> what's what's the turn uh, turnaround time to do a, a an EastEnders episode compared to a Holby episode, for example?
1: So it's around. Um, I think you're around EastEnders is around um, eight weeks. So I think a couple of I think about three three around three weeks we to four weeks in um, post-production of planning stages, sorry, uh, pre-production planning and um, working with the script team. And then you have 10 days of production uh, of shooting on set. And then you have about a week, um, barely a week or so of post-production of editing. And then probably a few extra days later of, you know, sound, etc. In... Holby you have around about four weeks or four weeks I think of pre-production you have about four weeks of um production of shooting time so you've got you know instead of 10 days you've got a whole month and then you've got about two weeks of um editing so that's quite a difference um and I think we're roughly having to produce the same amount of time of TX hours. So there's probably two hours, two episodes is two hours worth of hobby and four episodes of EastEnders, which is, which makes up about um, two hours as well. Hmm.
0: Well, one of the things that I've been asking creative people like yourself um, is is a question that does fascinate me, which is, um, you know, within the arts, people often talk about diversity, but, one of the things that strikes me <clears throat> is the lack of diversity of opinion. And I just wanted to ask your your view on that um, uh, because it, it seems to me that uh, very, a large section of people who work in the arts all seem to have exactly the same political views, for example. And I, ju- I just wondered what your thoughts were on that, that That shouldn't um, the arts in general um, reflect the wide diversity of views that exist uh, out there at large.
1: It's ironic, yeah, because um, mostly fairly left, fairly liberal um, people in the arts, and ironically, we're suffering from you know things like diversity and gender equality um and you know it's it's difficult to understand why you know the conversation in the room hasn't shifted much in you know, in 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 the decades that we've been you know at least i've been working in, in the arts i remember when i started out silver street this you know Silver Street itself was, you know, to to, uh, try and address the balance of um, disproportionate voices. Here we are again 20 years later still having these conversations. Um, I'm not really sure why, you know, we've not made the kind of strides that we should have. Um, And I don't understand what the, you know, you know, what, you know, what, 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 I guess it's frustrating to sort of have to, you know, um, wrestle with these issues to this day. But, you know, why we're not able to really um, have this kind of diverse opinions comfortably is, I wonder, is it really, you know, is it a cultural thing? Is it, is it, is it a British thing? I, I, I don't understand, you know. Um it's it's an interesting question you know and often when we have that discussion it's not a discussion it's um you know it's conflict you know it's confrontational it's you know it's come to a head that's why we're talking about it as opposed to it being endemic in the way we do things you know and why you know diverse opinion can't be tolerated why does it have to be so polarized as kind of um you know separate opinions just because opinions aren't shared why are we why do they have to be so confrontational Mm.
0: um
1: and that's that's strange in such a sort of um diverse country like ours actually
0: yes yes that's interesting what you say there What what, what advice would you give to a young person they're out there they're doing i don't know Media production or film production at a university. Um, what, what advice would you give them as they're starting out on their career?
1: You no, know, I think it's so important. I think the best advice I I can give is the one one that was given to me. I mean, I think you know to get ahead in this industry, first of all, you've got to get started, and you've just got to be one step ahead of uh, of the game. And you know, it's you know. Often it's difficult to quantify what we do. You know, if you, know, you, you someone could spend months on a screenplay, and someone would spend weeks, and come 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 up with the same same results. The advice I would certainly give is to have um, have a clear understanding um, what it is that you you would like to do, um, and you know, if it's to get into being a television director, there's nothing stopping you putting a short film together right now. In fact, um, you know, it's probably the first thing you should try and do is is make a short film, make a great short film. An average short film won't really get you very far. Nobody watches something that's okay. You've actually got to, you know, roll the hard six and find out what it takes to make a great short film. And, you know, that means and you know, right, making a short film means writing a really great short film. And the reason why a, screen, a good script is important because if you have little qualifications and you're a student, the only way you're going to get people to um, uh, work with you is, is is that is that screenplay if it's really great. Mm. So there's no real restrictions in being able to find a set to write a really great short script, maybe 10, 15 pages, you can do that. Mm. And I feel you have to find a way through, it, through training or the community of writers that you're amongst to be able to put that to paper. Mm. And that will actually help you uh, in so many ways because it will help you make the film, first of all, and attract good talent. But also it will help you navigate through what is good and what is bad. And it will help you answer some questions um, in terms of quality. And so I think it's so important to understand the value of writing a really good short at that particular stage of your time, of your career, the very beginning. And do that um, as early as you can. There's nothing, there's no real excuse not to be able to do that because you don't have to answer to anyone when you're writing.
0: Boris, one of the uh, criticisms that that sometimes are aimed at an organisation like the BBC, for example, is that getting your foot in the door at an organisation like the BBC is often premised on who you know rather than what you know. Do you believe that's a fair criticism?
1: I think it's fair to say that, yes. Uh, I wouldn't say the BBC are the only people responsible I think our industry um, in in its entirety suffers from that um, you know in in our um, the, the, the way we find work the way uh, we are hired is slightly more ambiguous I think where the other interview processes your're you're required uh, a, a producer is often answerable to another producer or an exec in who he or she hires. So there's got to be a certain level of trust earned before they make that decision to actually hire you. And that's not the same at all in any other industry. You can walk in clean with an interview and a CV and that could be, that's the due process in which you get hired. But um, in, um, in production, there seems to be, you know, people's, livelihoods on the line. So therefore that sort need to be qualified, you know, in terms of trust and getting references and all that kind of stuff beforehand or building up that rapport seems to be a prerequisite for um, nowadays in, in all the television gigs that I've, I've interviewed for. And so it is true of the BBC, but it's not unique of the BBC. It's probably unique of our industry. And it's global. It's all over the world. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had that in the States, more so in the States,
0: um, than I have over here in the BBC. When I was younger, I remember a program on the, um, I think it was the BBC, called Play for Today. And the reason I mention it is because it, it took risks. You saw interesting writers with, with interesting material. Yeah. Do you think that particularly mainstream television takes enough risk uh, with regards to the material that that you are asked to to direct?
1: I I think it's a really great question. You know, um, and and, and again, I think it's sort of something that is probably inherent in British culture more so um, than, you know, BBC culture. But, you know, if you look at Hollywood, if you look at America, you know, most of the time for the one or two incredible shows that you see, there's a lot of rubbish. There's a lot of rubbish. And a lot of people turn their you know nose up at all of that. And but for me, I think there are producers out there paying money to produce really bad ideas. They're prepared to take a risk financially to produce shows that they believe in that may or may not work out there. In the UK, we don't have that kind of culture. We won't take that risk unless it's something that's already been tried and tested or has uh, a kind of uh, a production team that is fairly seasoned and, you know, award-winning. We, we won't take that kind of risk. Mm. Um, and, you know, some some of the channels of you know, are, are really responsible. We, you know, off, Channel 4 used to take way more risks in the mm. day than it does now, I, I think. Um, You know, even some of the sort of diverse content is actually, or or the independent content is, you know, it's got some of the most award-winning, powerful storytellers in the world, if not the country, right? So, you know, in in, in a lot of ways, it's probably a British um, sort of
0: issue, you know? Why do you think this is, though, uh, when you say that... uh... You know, we're, we're not taking risks anymore. Why has this happened, in your opinion?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, I would probably first of all say, um, you know, with the exception, you know, of a, of a few uh, companies, I would say that it's kind of always been there. I mm-hmm. remember about 20, 20 years ago, I wrote something pretty risky, and um, you know they wouldn't, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't commission it purely not because of the quality of the work or the originality of the show, but because they're afraid of of taking that risk. They've never seen anything like that before. And the irony was, it was too original. It was just weird. And now that hasn't changed much. Um, the agenda to take risk is mostly based on, um, you know perhaps the, the hand being forced a little, you know, there being a kind of policy change or a movement or, you know, um, Lenny Henry advocating diversity, now we're seeing a surge of risk-taking, but it's not risk-taking when you're, you know, when you have to do it, you know. Hmm. So hmm. I, I, I wouldn't say things have changed so much. What I feel, there seems to be spikes on the, on, on the actual algorithm. <laughs> where sometimes we'll take risks because we're asked to. We have to be, you know, we have to take these risks, but that's not a risk. So I don't think we do take risks. I don't think we take risks enough. I think also perhaps if we're talking specifically about television, it's also a financial thing. I think there's more money and more audiences in the States for them to be able to take risks. In the UK, there's very, you know, it's, Film as a cottage industry, you know, uh, and 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 TV, you know, there's probably far less, for less sort of pots of money to be able to take those kind of risks for people to actually, um, you know, to go to go with their gut, and I think that's probably something you know the economics of it all probably you know keep it um, a little less um, interesting.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, the irony, of course, is that you know that's where the most creative
0: stuff happens. but it, it, Well, it is worrying when a uh, script is turned down for being too original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um,
1: it's just very, <laughs> it's very, it's just, it's strange <laughs> that risk is not part of the agenda when, um, you know, I think British um, commissioners are looking at your work. Hmm. They don't think, how can we take, it's probably more a sure bet. You know, and I think risk is mostly about something that has no figures or audiences attached to it, but something in your gut feels this is the right way to go. And I think we've seen shows, you know, films, uh, film companies that have taken those particularly in cinema, have taken those risks. They've come out trumps,
0: you know. Warris, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you work a lot obviously in, in the uh uh, directing for TV and uh, you know various high profile shows that we discussed. do you see a lot of other uh, TV directors who come from um, ethnic minority groups?
1: Well uh, no it's quite it's it is quite rare you know to find um, you know television directors working in the mainstream or writers working in the mainstream um yeah it's 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 very rare to see it um i you know i i would have thought i think often i'll see it mostly of course when we're in you know in a community of specifically you know writers that are are, you know um you know Bame um um origins so you know so that that's probably the and then i'll realize there's so many of us you know hustling but professionally working in mainstream television um yeah it's just there's just not enough you know and it's a shame because you need two people for a dialogue at least so when you want to you know advocate any kind of change you know you want a discussion in the room as opposed to being just you know the single you know single man with a horn and Mm. that's um that doesn't inspire much change, you know, but discussion is, you know, is missing.
0: And how how do you think it will change so that we have, you know, more people from from a wide diversity of backgrounds doing the type of job that, that you currently do?
1: I think, you know, there's got to be, at least in my humble opinion, Nijay, you know, I, I, I feel there's lots of, there's so much work to do, you know, um, you know, to, to sort of, you know, we, we, we're seeing some of the work getting done and that's great, you know, um, but we have to make sure it's not just about putting out the fires, rather it's sort of you know, lighting the beacons and the road towards something that is genuinely um, a, a sort of pathway in, in which we believe in. And that means, you know, having kind of equal representation um, in the sort of higher echelons of television, you know? You have to have that kind of diverse voice, and you have to have really smart voices too. You know, the other, the purchase, the exchange. I think has to be that if we ourselves, as practitioners, as directors, writers, are um, we, we ourselves have to make sure that you know we are um, also as as you know as you know worthy of di- being being good directors. I, I, I think. Of course, um, controversially, you have to understand we shouldn't have to fight any more or be any more worthy than someone who isn't, or you know, who, who isn't BAME. Um, but we should be good, good enough to be in our field. We shouldn't feel like we're token gestures, um, you know, at the table. We should be competent directors and writers at the very least. Often you see bad choices people chosen. Um, because uh you know because you know they have to sort of um be you know to 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 check it you know to tick a tick a kind of um category etc but you know we have to be as writers, drugs we have to be competent so that you know we can suffocate any any prejudice uh in the room when 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 it's and when it hits us you know Mm. and and i think that's the That's a key responsibility we have as practitioners, as television directors that, you know, that we can't give that a chance to blossom, but also we need that dialogue with uh, people at the very sort of top, and that needs to be uh, compassionate, you know? I think that relationship can only, you know, make a difference, you know? Um, We have to be creative uh, in our content, when we, we When we're putting output out there, we have to move the debate a little bit forward, we have to look at new ways to tackle stories, so it's uh inviting an audience um, We have to be merciful as well, because there's a lot of people that probably uh have their you know who who want to see change but don't know how, and we probably have to be those ambassadors as as well as we are you know, victims at the same time. But that's, I think that that is the only way I think, you know, we get things and we we'll to be consistent with it as well. Hmm. Um, un- unfortunately, we are ambassadors the second we decide to be creators, you know, as people of BAME. uh we become ambassadors and we've got to weaponize ourselves. You know, we have to be able to understand the debates in the room and be able to understand how we can tackle them without, um, you know, um, losing our way there. Because we might only get one shot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Warris, do do you have any opinions on uh, the relationship between arts and health?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, in in terms of mental well-being, you know, particularly for actors, there isn't much pastoral care, you know. There's no real counselling. There's no real process or person even that an actor who's working 17 hours a day for three months um, asked to be very vulnerable amongst a crew of 50, an audience of three million. And if they're feeling any anxiety with the content, the material, they've got nowhere to go. There's nothing you know, specific in our industry that tackles that particular psychosis, you know, there's general help, it's not good enough. You know, every industry is different and there's nothing for directors either. You know, we've got nowhere to really, um, you know, go to, apart from other writer directors, um, when we, you know, when we deal with the pressures that come with um, directing on the floor So I think that connection is quite weak in terms of us looking at how it affects people's mental health and also, you know, looking at just your physical health in terms of how you have to keep yourself um, healthy um, during production. I don't know if there's much written in that world, you know? Mm. Uh, I just feel... It's interesting there's so much money spent on the kind of on-screen um kind of content but looking after the people so to speak that deliver the irony of course is if you look after these people they're going to give you some of the most incredible work and probably more of it but i don't think we there isn't much there hmm.
0: Hmm. and what what does the future hold for Waris islam don't know <laughs>
1: um I do know yeah i I do want to make films mm-hmm. yeah so I, I i hope that I continue to to write and direct um feature films and um that's where you know and and also um sort of high end production television and mm-hmm. not to do that other gigs and carry yeah. on being a writer director, I hope
0: you know yeah. So if, if you weren't doing the job that you currently do, Waris, this is my final question. What would you be doing?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I would be doing much else. I really f- feel, um, I really enjoy this. And, you know, it's interesting because, as, as you know, it's so difficult. And, it, you know, the peaks and troughs of the journey, um, the highs and lows are they're, they're such great lows. And sometimes, you know, but, you know, often I can't, I, I only
0: know the lows, worries. I only know the lows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, the, the irony is, I think you know. I think I'd still be doing this regardless of um, you know income or um, defeat. You know, I enjoy writing and I enjoy being on the floor, so I find a way to still do it. And I think I, I think that's that's all you really can ask for in life to find something that you genuinely enjoy and the bonuses i think i feel is that i'm able to craft out a home and a lifestyle uh, you know, and an income because of something that i love and i don't know how many people can can actually say that
0: so i'm happy waris islam thank you very much indeed
1: thank you man so great to uh, speak to you thank you hope of, of use
0: that was waris islam For more information about our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org and if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. I very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.